All right. So as, as Pastor Doug said, I lead a lot of uh, trainings. I teach people how to start churches, teach people how to share faith in their everyday life. And I preach a lot on YouTube right now. So I apologize if I say like and subscribe to this message. It's a habit. <laughs> Try and break it. <laughs> um, I'm really excited that we're in the Psalms because you don't often get to preach on the Psalms or really dig into them as much, but they are such rich and powerful gift to the church and to your life of faith. So I'm really excited to dig into Psalm 46. But before we do that, let's take a minute and just pray together. Um, Dear Lord, thank you so much that we could be here. God, I pray that you would guide us in this Psalm, Lord. Teach us how we can anchor ourselves in you in the midst of life's storms, um, to hold on to the promises that you give, God. Um, May my words be your words, not one word more or one word less. your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, when uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Dave told me that we were in Psalms, I said, I know exactly what Psalm we're going to preach on, Psalm 46. Um, It's always been one that's close to me. In fact, I combed through all the messages to make sure nobody had stolen Psalm 46 from me. And the reason I like Psalm 46 is it's a psalm I actually memorized when I was in seminary. I was doing my master's in divinity at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And I was just walking around the neighborhood for like an hour, hour and a half, just memorizing Psalm 46. And before you get this overly pietistic picture of me, this was less piety and more practicality. Because for me, the thing that was scariest about seminary was the languages. You had to learn ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew. And I had a transcript from undergrad that proved foreign languages were not my forte. And so I'm sitting here going, God, if I make it through this, I know I'm called into ministry. So I went into the summer before seminary and I did Greek in nine and a half weeks. I went from learning the alphabet to like functional knowledge. And when I did that, I was like, Lord, you are real and I am going to make it as a pastor. And then two weeks later, I sat down in a classroom and they started showing me a brand new alphabet that went backwards and somebody had stolen all the vowels. And this was Hebrew. (laughs) And I barely made it through Hebrew. And when I made it through, I was like, finally, I'm here. I'm going to make it. But what I found out was every time you take an Old Testament class in seminary, you have a section of your test, a large section of your test, by the way, that is a translation (laughs) where you have to translate it. And I I got into Psalms and writing, and I'm like, the only way I'm going to make it out of this test is if I can memorize it in English. And I can pick just one word in Hebrew that I know and give my best guess as to what the rest of that section is, which I'm sure my teacher figured out when I translated flawlessly in the English Standard Version. (laughs) But you know what was kind of fun about that is I got a moment to, to learn a practice that was really helpful. What happens when you just sit in and you meditate deeply on a section of God's scripture? Because God's scripture is more than just a book. It's his words and it's his promises to us. And as I walked through the streets of Clayton around my seminary and I started memorizing these words of Psalm 46, I heard these rich images flooding in about how a person of faith could anchor themselves into God in the midst of a storm. Powerful images. And then this ending that's so amazing. God's command to us in a storm, be still, be still and know that I am God. So 
As we start out today's message, let's just spend some time reading through the words of Psalm 46 in English, and I promise I will not make you translate them (laughs) after this. It says this in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Man, it's, it was so powerful about this psalm. It's not just the images of this raging storm or, or these mountains that are literally being tossed into the sea, but God deals with the storms around us and he deals with the storms that are thrust upon us, right? Because he moves from images of natural disaster to images of warfare, And in both of those things, what does he show? He says, whether it's the raging storm and the chaos you see around you, and it's really powerful that it's an image of the sea because when you're reading through the Old Testament in the ancient world, the sea was an image of this uncontrollable chaos. In fact, all ancient cultures believed that. There were even certain gods that couldn't calm the seas. And so when the ancient people saw that the seas were under control, they realized that was a God that was the God. And so God shows that in the midst of this, in the midst of the chaos, I am in control and I am unmoved. In the midst of the enemies that attack you, I am in control. And the most powerful weapons of the time come to nothing. Right, I, I always was struck by that image. The earth melts. That's powerful, right? And then here is God saying, and all you need to do, the one thing you need to do that will change everything is just be still. And how easy is that, right? Just be still in the storm. Like, I think it's interesting talking about a text like this today because you can literally look out on a church full of people and realize that at some point in the last four years, every single person in this space has been through a storm. A storm you didn't see coming, a storm that was thrust upon you, a storm that led to other storms in your life. So we all know that the storms are there because the reality of the storm is this. It's not a question of if you will go through a storm in your life. It's more a question of when. Will you see it coming from a long way off or will it just be thrust upon you? And so that's what is so rich and so powerful about the Christian faith. This is what I love about Jesus. See, when Jesus is talking to us, he doesn't have a faith that's disconnected from reality, right? A faith that only works when everything else around us is working. That's not really a faith. That's something anybody could do. 
No, Jesus has a faith that's built for the storm, that's built for the moments that are out of control and chaotic, the moments in which you're sitting there going, I don't even know what to do next. And Jesus is saying, be still, know that I'm God. But how easy is that for you in the midst of a storm? It's not very easy, is it? In fact, I can know all those things practically and then the storm hits and it's like all those things just vanish from my mind at first. And I'm like, what do I do? How do I make it through this? In fact, I would love to be the teacher that stands up here and tells you, I know you all struggle with storms, but I don't. So let me tell you what to do. But my family was in the first service. And if I did that, they would look and go, uh, excuse me, not the case. In fact, I recently went through a really big storm in life. And I remember a mentor saying to me, you know, sometimes the storm and the pain is the catalyst for your calling. But the question becomes, how do you navigate that? How do you move in the storm? And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to look at the gospels because there's this really rich image that you see in the gospels, especially, and we're gonna look at it in the gospel of Matthew. It's in a bunch of the gospels. And it's an image of the disciples in the storm. And I think when you see how the disciples react in the storm, when Jesus is literally right there physically next to them, it can give you hope, but it can also give you a picture of how you can really anchor your life into God in the midst of a storm and really be still in the midst of that storm and trust that God is there. And so it begins, it's, uh, it begins here in Matthew chapter 8. And this is where you see the first storm in the gospel accounts. And this is what I love about these storms. These storms always come on the heels of an incredible ministry high, right? I mean, here, Matthew chapter eight, Jesus has already gathered those 12 disciples to him. He's already preached the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. They've watched as crowds have gathered and been blown away by the teaching of Jesus, a teaching from God like nobody had ever experienced ever. They're sitting here. They're these uneducated guys who never thought they would be capable of being anybody's disciple. And now they're the disciple of the greatest teacher ever. You're like pinching yourself, right? And it's not just the teaching. Like great teaching is cool. It's the miracles. I mean, they're watching as Jesus heals the centurion's servant and then he heals many people. And they're sitting there on this high as the crowds are growing going, this is amazing. And we got a front row seat. And then Jesus says, hey, let's get in this boat. Not a big deal, right? Because what could go wrong in the boat? So they get in the boat and Jesus is exhausted because look at all the stuff he was just doing. And so he falls asleep with his head on a pillow, right? A beautiful image. Till you think about where the pillow is. Do you know where the pillow is? It's, it's at the stern of the boat where the, the rudder is, the wheel, okay? So literally the gospels give us an example of Jesus asleep at the wheel, Okay, and here are the disciples and they're like, it's okay, <laughs> it's a beautiful day. But if you've ever been on the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee actually looks like a really large lake. And you think to yourself, not a big deal. And it's surrounded by these beautiful mountains, right? But as I've been on the Sea of Galilee, the tour guide said, you know what's interesting is those beautiful mountains, the winds will all of a sudden rush over them, come barreling down into the valley into the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden you could be on this tranquil lake that all of a sudden is a raging storm with swells as big as you would find on the ocean. 
And you can imagine being in this little fishing boat stuck in the middle of a storm that's just popped up out of nowhere, right? And you're going, are we going to make it? Because these guys are all grew up in the Middle East, so they're probably not the world's strongest swimmers. And all of a sudden, the storm is raging, and here they are, they're freaking out, and what do they do? Well, it says the very next thing they do is they start to sing Psalm 46, and they say, just be still and know that I am God, right? No, that's apparently not the case. Verse 25 says, in the midst of this, and they went and woke him up saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing, right? And Jesus gets up, but he doesn't calm the storm. He looks at them in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the waves, crashing over the boat, and everybody thinking they're going to die. And he looks at them and he says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I'm like, is this really the time for a lecture, Jesus? And then he calms the storm. And I thought that was a really interesting sequence of events, especially when you compare it to the next storm you read about in Matthew. The next storm pops up in Matthew chapter 14. And I love this scene because Jesus has just fed the 5,000. So the disciples have seen a large crowd gather together. At this point, they've seen a lot of Jesus' miracles and they thought, he's probably not gonna do anything that's gonna surprise us, right? And then he just feeds 5,000 people with a kid's lunch. Unbelievable. And then Jesus is gonna go off to pray and he tells his disciples, hey, you guys just hop in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you on the other side. Now at this point, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, this sounds familiar, I've been here before, and I think I'm going to walk. <laughs> but Jesus commanded them to get in the boat. So they get in the boat, and they start moving, and everything's great, and then a storm kicks up. And they're making headway painfully, like they're not going anywhere. And all of a sudden, they look, and they see a figure that looks like a ghost. And they're like, it's a ghost. And they're like, no, wait a second, it's Jesus and Jesus is telling them to take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And then Peter, you gotta love the boldness of Peter when you're reading a gospel, right? He goes, if it's really you, what? Tell me to come out to you. So Peter, in the midst of this raging storm with Jesus walking on the water where everybody else is still wrapping their mind around the fact that Jesus is actually walking on top of the water, gets out of the boat, and Peter is actually able to start walking toward Jesus. And it's like in that moment, the storm is still there, but Peter is doing this thing that he didn't think was possible because he's fully and he's completely focused on Jesus. And everything is good until he starts looking at where he is and he starts seeing the storm around him. And all of a sudden, his focus moves from Jesus to just how powerful and how big this storm is. And in that moment, he starts to sink. And as he's sinking, it says, and the wind's blowing, he's looking and he's saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus walks over. And I love this image. He just reaches out his hand. He grabs a hold of him and he pulls him up. And when he pulls Peter up totally out of the water and has him held close while the storm is still raging, while they're still outside the boat, standing on water, by the way, 
Jesus looks at Peter and he says to Peter, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then he puts Peter back in the boat and he calms the storm. And I think it's so interesting. And the thing that stuck out to me from these two accounts was the fact that Jesus is always looking at his disciples, calling them to faith while the storm is still raging around them. He's looking at them going, why are you doubting? Why are you afraid? You are in the safest place you could possibly be right here with me. And I think the reason he doesn't calm the storm is because he wants them to learn how to follow him in the midst of the storm, how to trust him in the midst of the storm. Because here's the radical thing about this story. When you think about it, each of those stories, what happens? Jesus calls them to get in the boat and Jesus sends them out into the water. So even when they're in the midst of the storm, They're in the exact place that Jesus wants them to be. And that's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around as followers of Jesus, because functionally as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes think if we're in the middle of the storm, we've done something wrong. We took a wrong turn. We offended God. We're not in the spot we need to be in that moment, because clearly if we were, there would not be a storm. That's called prosperity gospel, and that's actually false. You can make a lot of money doing it, but it's not true, and it's not going to work out for you. No, in reality, what you see over and over in Scripture is that God sometimes does call his servants into the storm. And sometimes God does not calm the storm around them in an effort to teach them how to be still in the midst of the storm to anchor their life into Jesus and to trust that they will be okay. Because even in the midst of the storm, they are in the midst of the fortress that is God. And he will not be moved. And this is a powerful thing. Because if you think about it, you worship a God, your life is connected to a God, Jesus, who literally conquered death. He was crucified and three days later, he walked out of the grave. And he says, because he's conquered death, you conquered death. So if your God has already conquered death for you, what trial could come to you that's bigger than that? There's nothing. So all we need to do fundamentally is to hold on to Jesus and just anchor our life in. And I get it. Sometimes in the midst of the storm, it's a really hard thing to do. And I get that because I lived that recently. In fact, my family will tell you, was I a picture of peace and calm in the midst of the storm? Not all the time. Sometimes, not all the time. And then through reaching out to connecting to God, really trying to dig in in the midst of the storm. Honestly, probably at first expecting God to calm the storm, right? Because that's what we want. It's like, God, here's option one, calm the storm. That'll fix everything here. And then you go do whatever you need to do elsewhere, right? But that wasn't the case. But all of a sudden, several months ago, 
I had this moment in a weekend where all of a sudden I was just filled with this incredible peace of God. And it was like all of a sudden, nothing around me had changed, but everything had changed because I had finally found a way to be able to focus fully and completely on Jesus in the storm. And it literally brought a peace that is still so hard to explain. It was just overwhelming. The things that bothered me before in the storm didn't bother me the same way. Could I wake up and still have a frustrating day? Absolutely. Was it at the same level it was before? No. Because Jesus was present in the storm. And my life felt deeply anchored into him. And so my encouragement to you in this is to anchor yourself in Jesus in the midst of the storm. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you just four ways that you can focus in more on Jesus. And I always hesitate to be the guy that's like, here are four things you can do. And here's why I hesitate, because I know somebody in the room has not listened to anything I've said all the way up to this point. And what you just heard is, here are four ways to get rid of the storm in your life. (laughs) And you miss the reality that maybe the storm's not going away as quickly as we want it to. And so when I give you these four things, what I want you to realize is each and every one of these spiritual practices, these aren't the only four, okay? But they're four that are helpful. Each one of these is just gonna help you focus in on Jesus more clearly. Because the more you can focus in on Jesus, the more you can anchor into Jesus, the more you can find peace in the storm. And if you find peace in the storm, it's not gonna matter how big the storm gets or how long it rages, because you will have everything you need right there in the midst of the storm. And so the first of these four is simply this, to focus on Jesus in prayer. Focus on Jesus in prayer. I I think a lot of times we never feel like we pray enough. In fact, I was training a group of church planters and we always, early in our training process, we go through a session that we call prayer and fasting. And we talk about the discipline of prayer and fasting. And without fail, every single time in those groups, everybody's like, yeah, I don't feel like I pray enough. The church planning groups are groups of pastors that are sitting here going, I really don't feel like I lean into this enough. And you know what I realized? I think prayer is one of those things that I have never heard somebody go, yeah, I pray, I pray plenty, I'm good. <laughs> We always feel like we could be doing that more. And in fact, Jesus encourages us to pray more. Look at the images that he uses to talk about prayer. He he uses images of people annoying other people when he talks about prayer, right? There's the image of the guy that shows up in the middle of somebody's house at night and says, I need bread. And the other guy's going, go away. It's the middle of the night. My family's asleep. You're gonna wake up my kids. And if you have small kids, you know the only sin is to wake up a small child. There's nothing worse than that. And yet, what does Jesus say? He will come down and he will give you what you ask for because he wants you to leave. He uses this image. He uses the image of of a widow who's going to a kind of wicked judge and she's demanding justice. And she just keeps going day after day till she literally annoys the judge into giving her justice. Like what Jesus is saying to you is be persistent with God in prayer. Like, go to the point where you're kind of wondering, am I annoying God right now? 
Like pray to him that much. He wants to hear from you that much. And my favorite image is the one that he uses in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, how many of you who have children, if your child asks for a piece of bread, will give him a scorpion? And then he looks at you and he says, you who are wicked, if you who are wicked act like this, how much more will your heavenly father give you what you need? See, when Jesus, he says, be persistent in your prayer and trust that God loves you and he wants to hear from you and he wants to give you the very things you need. In fact, I started meeting with a spiritual director and one of the cool things he said in our opening session was, do you realize the Holy Spirit is actually a person of the Trinity and he loves you deeply and he's the one that is helping you pray? right? Like Romans says, when you don't have words, the spirit speaks for you with groanings too deep for words, right? He's the one that's sitting at the father going, you see what Matt's going through? Do you know what he needs? What what can we do for him today? How can we help him today? Like it's a powerful thing. So focus on Jesus in prayer. The next is focus on Jesus in scripture, See, I think a lot of times we say, I just want to hear from God in this moment. I don't know if you realize this. God has already spoken a lot to you, right? Every year we hit the new year, right? And oftentimes at churches we go, let's read through the Bible together. And what does everybody say? I don't know. It's a really big book and it would take a while to go through this whole thing. You want me to read the whole thing? Yes, because it's not just a book. It's the words of God to you. And the more you sit in here, the more you literally hear Jesus speaking to you. It's amazing to me, whether a little or a lot, how often God will say the very thing you need to hear in his word. The question is not, has God spoken to you or will God speak to you? The question is really, are we listening, right? And so the more we lean into the scriptures, the more we can hear God. So how can you do that? You could just simply pick a chapter of the Bible a day and start reading. You could do one of those reading plans. Or here's a little life hack. Open up the YouVersion Bible app and you can actually click on the notifications and you can make it notify you every day with the verse of the day. Because even if you just look at the verse of the day, God's gonna use that verse to speak promises in your life. And sometimes the promise is for right now, in the moment you're in. I've had that where I've opened it up and I'm like, that verse was for me today. And other points you're like, I have no idea why he's saying that to me today. Because when you're reading the word of God, sometimes you're reading the word of God and it's operating like a bank. And sometimes you use the money that you have right in front of you. And sometimes what do you do with it? You put it in the bank and you save it. And then when you need it, you're able to pull it out. It's the same with the word of God. If you will read the word of God, sometimes it's gonna be for you today. Sometimes it's gonna be a promise for another day that when you need it, you can pull it out if you've just put it in the bank. And so those are the first two. This third one, I had to apologize to the tech team earlier um, because it's one that I added yesterday when I was on my run. So they did not have it, right? And that's always stressful when you're on the tech team. But it's this, focus on Jesus in community. And the reason I added this one later is because when I was running, I started reflecting on the things I didn't do well when I was in the midst of that storm. And one of the things I neglected to do was lean enough into my Christian community. 
And I realized that because over Christmas, I had an opportunity to go visit my parents, which they live in St. Louis now. And so I got to connect with one of my mentors when I was in town. And uh, my wife and I were sitting, we were connecting with him. We're just sharing the storm that we had walked through and we're kind of getting closer to the back end. And he looks at me and he goes, man, I wish you had called me. And you know what I realized in that moment? I had talked a lot to family and leaned into family and that was good. And I had shared with some people that I regret sharing with and that was not good. That's gonna happen, right? But the ones that I forgot to lean into were my brothers in Christ who were also pastors who I could have shared everything with, everything I was walking through, who would have understood what I was walking through at a level nobody else could. And I missed out because I didn't lean into that community that could help me lean more into Jesus. And so if you're in the midst of the storm, I wanna encourage you, lean into Christian community. Lean into those that are also anchoring and trying to anchor their lives in Jesus. And in the midst of the storm, they can actually help anchor your life into Jesus. And so if you're wondering who that is, because you heard that maybe I shared with some people I shouldn't have. Yeah, that happens. Um, There's one kind of person you're looking for. It's not the one that always tells you yes. And it's not the one that always tells you no. It's the one that tells you yes when you need to hear yes. And no when you need to hear no because they love you and they genuinely desire the best for you. That's who you lean into. And then finally, focus on Jesus' grace. Focus on Jesus' grace. Because you know the hardest part of a storm? The hardest part of a storm is that it breaks down the fantasy you have of yourself in your life. That you are always the hero, right? that you are Rambo in the story every single time, right? That you cannot be conquered, okay? That no matter what happens, you have the strength and you have the power to deal with that on your own. And then the storm comes and you realize you're not as strong as you thought you were. And you're not as powerful as you thought you were. And you're not as in control as you thought you were. And then you can even in those moments start to wrestle with your own faith. Because when you're strong, it's easy to see why God loves you. Because look at what I can do for God. But when you're weak and you realize you don't have as much to give to God as you thought, you wonder, well, does God love me? Because we're stuck into that worldly mentality, right? But in a storm, when you hold on to Jesus' grace, you remember an important reality about the gospel. The gospel is not about what you do for God. The gospel is about what God has done for you through Jesus. That's where it begins. The gospel is a God that looks at you when you're, as Paul describes, spiritually dead. And he says, I love you. And I wanna make you alive. And when you anchor yourself into Jesus' grace, what you realize is even if the storm is raging, And all the energy you have just goes into waking up in the morning. God still loves you. God still cares deeply about you. And God is still overjoyed that he could die for you so that you could have new life. So when you're in the midst of the storm, hold on to the grace of Jesus 
first and most because prayer is going to help you do it and scripture is going to help you do it and community is going to help you do it. But all those things are going to anchor you into the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. And that love and forgiveness of Jesus allows you to be still and to know that he is God and to know that even in this storm, you will be all right because you have a God who cannot be moved. And so as we get ready to take some time just in prayer, take a little bit of time and I'm gonna give a little bit of time in silence because I know that some of you might be in a storm. Some of you might be in a storm that's obvious to everybody around you and everybody sees it, but you could also be in a storm that nobody sees and you feel it raging. And so I want you to just take an opportunity to be able to anchor yourself in that peace of God. And if you're in a storm, know that he's there and he is good. And even if you walk out of this place and nothing changes in this moment, everything can change if we just anchor ourselves into Jesus. And then if you're not in a storm, take some of this time to just pray for God to invite somebody into your life who is in a storm, somebody that you could encourage somebody that you could pray for and support and help them anchor into Jesus in the midst of the storm. Because God does powerful things when we seek him in the storm and when we help other people anchor to him in the storm. So let's pray.